Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Word of God. We are in session number two of our creation seminar. The purpose of the creation seminar is to encourage your faith that the Bible is true and that there's evidence supporting what the Bible has to say. Last week we introduced the subject that in the beginning and defined our terms between creation and evolution. Began to look at the two schools of thought and the philosophies behind them as well as the end result. Now we're going to build upon that and we started the book of Genesis and chapter number one. The book of Genesis in chapter number one, and notice once again in verse number one. Genesis chapter one and verse one. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. And again, if you're in the habit of marking things and have not done so already, mark that first phrase, in the beginning. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, we're just asking for your grace and your mercy upon us as we open up the Bible and open up uh, science and back all of this up to see what a great God you are. Magnify your own name. Show what a wise God that you truly are today and that you would glorify and honor yourself. For me, help me to be the proper spokesman to uh, speak as I ought to be able to calm myself down and trust in you and your spirit and that we would have a good time opening this up and that it would be an encouragement to people's faith tonight. Again, I don't trust myself, but I ask that you fill me with your precious spirit for you to get your own work accomplished tonight, to guide and direct and to encourage your people's faith. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. <clears throat> Now, the Bible clearly states when God places the beginning of creation. Now, that's very important. We're not looking for what man says at this specific time. We're looking for when does God place creation? When does God say the beginning? We, of course, looked at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God. But God doesn't just date himself there. But all throughout scripture, he takes time to date what he means by the beginning. It says in the book of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 10, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens and the work of thy hands. So here God is saying that in the beginning he created the heaven and earth. He's saying this in the New Testament. Notice, if you don't mind, Colossians 1 and 16. For by him were all things created. Things that were in heaven, things that were in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him. So as we go on, we understand that God claims he created everything. So in the beginning, God made everything. And just as a reaffirmation that God created everything, he didn't use another source, God created everything. 
In the book of Matthew 19, verse 4, Jesus is speaking, and he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read, he that made them at the beginning made them male and female? So notice this. God also takes the beginning when he created man and woman, when he created the first human beings, Adam and Eve. God said that happened at the beginning. So in the beginning, God created everything and God included uh, creating everything, including man and woman. In the gospel record of Mark chapter 10 and verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So once again, God is saying he made man and woman at the beginning during creation. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 and 22, it says, For since by man came death. So we know that man is the person who caused death to enter in the world. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, death then entered the world. When did that happen? In the beginning. God created everything in the beginning. He created man and woman in the beginning. Then death entered into the world because of the actions of man. By man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. So because Adam sinned, now everything dies. Death entered the world at the beginning because of the first man, even as Christ shall all be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15. And so it is written, the first man, Adam. So notice that God says the very first man was Adam. Adam wasn't a first man. He was the first man. So again, God is taking his time to date. What does he mean in the beginning? He created everything in the beginning, which would include man and woman, not millions of years down the road, but at the same time. Genesis chapter 30 and verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve. Why? Because she was the mother of all living. Well, if there are millions of people living around the earth, it's hard to be the mother of all living. She is the first woman and all humankind came from her. So the Bible also provides a way of working out the dates. So God said in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. In the beginning, he created everything. In the beginning, he created man and woman. Also, he said... Since man and woman at the very beginning, God also takes time where we can put when did creation start based off of God's own dating system. Let's look. Genesis chapter 5, and Adam lived 130 years. And then he had a son. So he was 130 years before he had a son by the name of Seth. We know that he had already had Cain and Abel, but Seth was the one who was going to carry on the lineage. Adam was 130 years. So God clearly dates when, how old Adam was when he had Seth. It goes on, and Seth lived 105 years and beget Enos. So Adam beget Seth, Seth beget Enos. We could see how old they are each time. All right, you starting to follow along? Notice as it continues on. Genesis chapter 5 verse 9, and Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. So once again, we're seeing God dates how old people are when they're born. These dates given in the Bible can be placed together in a chart. For those who know me, I like charts. So 
let's put things together that we find in the Bible in a chart. If we were to do that, we would come up with something like this, that we could see the person, how old they were when they had a child, and we can see how old they lived after they they had a child. So with this, we could start putting a dating system together uh, from the beginning and moving on. The chart can be expanded all the way down to Noah's age because the Bible goes on and says how old each people lived. So Adam ended up living 930 years. That's quite a long time. (laughs) Now, working from known dates, meaning dates that we could collaborate from history, like the fall of, of Samaria, the fall of Jerusalem, from working from known dates, we can go back through the Bible and put those dates together in that chart and we could come out to an actual date, calendar date of creation. That according to the Bible, if you line things up, if man was at the beginning as God said it was, creation would be about 4004 BC. Now for those of you who are calculating things, that means according to the Bible, the world is about 6,000 years old. So we have a biblical date, 6,000 years old. Now, God created heaven and the earth about 6,000 years ago. About 4,400 years ago, there was a great flood that devastated and destroyed everything. It changed everything. So once again, we have a known date that we could work for. 6,000 years ago, God created heaven and earth. 4,400 years ago, there was a great flood. These are going to be important dates to know. So we could place this chart and see some interesting things. Notice that Adam lived 930 years. That means that he was old enough to know Noah's father, Lamech. He knew his great, 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 great grandson. That would be a family reunion back then, wouldn't it? So Adam lived a long time. So Lamech didn't have to ask and wonder, he could go straight to Adam and ask what it was like when the first woman ate the first man out of house and home. He could go up and say, what was it like to eat, to walk with God in the Garden of Eden? What was it like to walk with him? They could go to the source and not have to play the telephone game. When you have a direct witness, that makes the stories come alive a lot more, that they had direct information from Adam who was there. Now the chart continues to go on. The Bible gives us dates beyond creation. And beyond creation, we had one of Noah's sons by the name of Shem. He lived before the flood, went on the ark and lived after the flood quite a while. In fact, he lived long enough to know Jacob. He lived long enough to know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So again, Isaac can go up to his great, 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 great grandfather and say, what was it like in the flood? What was it like before the flood? What was it like to grow up in those times? So again, you have a direct source of information that you can go to. And the Bible lines up these dates quite clearly. Now, Jacob made reference to this in the book of Genesis. When he stands before Pharaoh, Pharaoh looks at him and says, how old are you? And Jacob at this time says, I'm 130 years old. That's pretty old, by the way. And he says, by the way, I'm a baby compared to the people who lived before. I haven't even got to their age. Well, again, he knew Shem who was living 600 years old. 
Hey, I know I'm 130 years old, but that's nothing. You should go see my great, great, great grandfather. That's a lot. Now, <laughs> with this chart, we could see quite a bit. Jacob can go directly to Shem and talk about what was it like before the flood? What were things like beforehand? Now, the Bible gives its answer. The Bible says, according to the dates lining it up, that the world is about 6,000 years old. Well, let's see what the textbooks have to say. According to the textbooks, how old is the earth? Well, let's look. Here's a textbook here that says 18 to 20 billion years ago. That's quite a difference in time, isn't it? Now, they say that 18 to 20 billion years ago, that all the matter in the universe was squished together in a period, um, in a dot smaller than the period at this page. And then somehow this dot began to spin and explode and became the Big Bang. Now, that was, uh, notice the dates, 18 to 20 billion years ago, the universe was created according to the textbook. The earth was created 4.6 billion, that's with a B, billion years ago. And it was completely different than what it is today. It says the textbooks that earth began as a hot ball of rock. So according to the textbooks, the earth began with rock. So just if you're keeping score, we believe in the beginning God they believe something different. Here a textbook says, millions of years of torrential rains created great oceans. So it began as a hot rock, and then what happened is that rains began to fall on that hot rock, and it began to change and uh, develop the earth. It says that swirling in the waters of oceans is a bubbling broth of complex chemicals. Progress from complex chemical soup into a living organism is very slow. So notice what they said, that the universe began 18 to 20 billion years ago, 4.6 billion years ago, the earth was formed, it was a hot mass of rock, then it began to rain upon it, and it swirled, until it became soup. And then from the soup, life came. Uh, in fact, they have whole uh, articles on this, that hot soup was the origin of life. So you know what they're saying? Here's another one here. The first uh, self-replicating systems must have emerged in this organic soup. So again, they begin believe in the beginning soup. So about 20 billion years ago, there was a big bang. The earth was formed 4.6 billion years ago. Life appears 3 billion years ago. And it says that we all began from soup. So next time you hold a can of Campbell's, just look at it and ask if it was grandpa. They, they said we started from soup. So if you were to trace it back before the soup, they said in the beginning, rock. So which one has more faith to believe in? In the beginning, God, or in the beginning, rock? They believe we all came from a rock. Well, let's go on. If we were to say that there was a princess to kiss a frog, and she would become a handsome prince, we would say that this would be a fairy tale. Right? 
Well, evolution says that this can happen with a secret magic ingredient called millions and millions of years. According to them, they say that we started off as a one-celled animal. And then over time, we developed more and more and more until we became a frog. And you give enough time to this frog here, it will become a prince. You just need the secret magic ingredient called millions and millions of years. So as a review, we say that if a frog becomes a prince quickly, we call that a fairy tale. However, if a frog turns into a handsome prince slowly, we call that science. Well, that's what they try to teach the kids in schools. So the textbooks say the earth is billions of years old. The Bible says the earth is 6,000 years old. There's quite a discrepancy there. Both cannot be right. The textbooks say between 3 to 3.5 billion years ago, this vapor began to condense. And after million, millions of years ago, that life began to form. Here in this article of fossils that we know that it was millions and millions of years ago the dinosaurs left this. Now, kids, if your teachers ask you and tell you that dinosaurs lived millions and millions of years ago, you could do something simple like raise your hand. Teacher, was you there? And they're going to say, no, I wasn't. Okay, okay, okay. Teacher, then how do you know it's millions and millions of years? They said quite simply... My teacher told me, okay, teacher, was he there? No, he wasn't there. Okay. Then how does he know? Because his teacher told him. Was he there? And what you're going to find out is that no one was there. No one was there to be an eyewitness of what occurred. That someone had to teach those teachers, but those people were not there. They were not eyewitnesses. Now, that's going to be important to note. Now, Jesus tells us, and he answered and said to them, Have you not read, he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? So Jesus said that Adam and Eve was there at the beginning. So when Jesus said this, was Jesus lying? Was Jesus not telling a truth when he said that Adam and Eve were at the beginning? Maybe this, did he not understand modern science? Was Jesus just 2,000 uh, years before date and he didn't understand science? Or was he right? Was Jesus right? You see, this becomes a very big deal. Either Jesus was correct and the world is 6,000 years ago, or the textbooks are correct and Jesus is a liar. That pods a big problem. You understand that creation and evolution cannot coexist. Either one is right, or only one can be right. Both of them cannot be right. So, who cares about the age of the earth? That's what we're discussing right now. Who cares how old it is? Well, let's see. First of all, the credibility of the book of Genesis is at stake. 
Can the average person read the book of Genesis and understand it? Or do we need some guru to tell us what it really means? Mean, can you read the Bible for yourself? Or do you need some professor to come say, well, it doesn't really mean that. You see, it's really a mythology. You see, it's a collection of stories. It's just an allegory. Well, did God give us the Bible and is it true or is it false? It becomes a very big deal. How about this? The credibility of Jesus is at stake. That's a pretty big deal. Jesus cited Genesis 25 times. That means that if Genesis is not correct, then Jesus is not correct. Don't you think that if he's Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and the God of all the universe, that he should have his information correct? Jesus said Genesis is correct. So either Genesis is correct or Jesus is a liar. What about this? Nearly every other book of the Bible refers to Genesis. Over 200 times in the New Testament alone is Genesis referenced to. That means if Genesis is wrong, the rest of the Bible is wrong. Genesis is a foundational book that is very important to our understanding of who God is. And the evolutionist care. Their entire theory looks silly without billions and billions of years to hide into. You see, evolution can only work if you give it enough time. How much time? Well, obviously billions of billions of years. If you do not have the millions of years to hide into, evolution cannot work. So who cares about the age of the earth? Well, obviously anyone who cares about the Bible or science has to care because one of these is true or one of them is false. John chapter 5 says, if you believed in Moses, you would have believed in me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Jesus said, if you can't believe uh, Genesis, then you can't believe what Jesus said. That's a very big deal. Now, Again, we had showed you these two timelines last week that very different timelines and scales. We believe 6,000 years ago, there was a (laughs) God created heaven and the earth. 4,400 years ago, there was a great flood. Evolutionists say 20 billion years ago, the universe was created and 4.6 million or billion years ago, the earth was formed. 3.5 billion years ago, life finally formed. Both of these are two different time scales, timelines, they both cannot be correct. Now, I'm not against science. I love science. Science is what we could test, what we could observe, and what we can hypothesize and put together. I like it. It's observation, study, and conclusions. We're not against science. Well, they've done many polls throughout the years to see what Americans believe. Do you know that almost half of Americans believe that God created the world in less than 10,000 years? That's quite a bit. uh, People who publish magazines want to try to teach you that, listen, you're in a minority. Nobody believes that. Well, actually, half the people believe that God created the world in a strict creation thing. Notice this. Only about 10% to 30% of people who believe in evolution, uh, believe in pure evolution, where God is not involved. I don't have the statistic here. But do you know that 90% of all the media believes in strict creation or strict evolution? So that means the people controlling the media believes that there was no God and that evolution happened without the assistance of God. 
So no wonder that's all we hear all the time, that the small majority has become the people controlling the media. Just an interesting statistics, that's by uh, their own polls. In fact, 50% of the scientists believe in Darwinian evolution. That means half the scientists don't. In fact, that's falling apart more and more all the time as they're becoming more studies to realize this doesn't work. But we know that just because scientists believe it doesn't mean they're always right. For example, scientists once believed that all of the universe revolved around the earth. Anybody know who disproved that? <laughs> Galileo, Copernium. Very good. Now, for 2,000 years, it was taught that heavy objects fall faster than light ones. Galileo proved that objects fall at the same speed in a vacuum. He did a scientific experiment to prove that. George Washington was bled twice by his doctors before he died. They believed in what was called the doctrine of humors. They believed that if you were sick, it was because your blood was bad. So let's get rid of the bad blood. And so they ended up bleeding him to death. By the way, that was a common thing at that time. And we still have the symbols of it today. You used to go to your local barber to get bled, to get the blood, bad blood out. That's why that barber shop pole is still in presence today. They used to be where you would go to get bled at. Now, George Washington died with a Bible right by his bed that told him the opposite of this, by the way. It said, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. You know, if George Washington had read his Bible, he might still be alive today. Smile, it's fine. No, not really. Good. There are numerous scientific ways, by the way, to show the universe is not billions of years old. Now, all of that was introduction. Now let's go to the main event. Can we tell that the world is a young earth? Can we tell that we live in a world that's not millions and millions or billions of billions of years old? Well, let's look and see if there's any evidence or science behind it. Let's say that we were to go to a sunken treasure and find several different coins. And the treasure that we find have different dates on the coins. 1750, 1710, and 1695. So again, if you found this, here's a question. When did the boat sink? Can you figure it out? Well, what we can do is we may not find the exact time when it sank, but we can tell when it didn't, uh, a date that it did not sink. Does that make sense? So what we find is the oldest or the newest coin, and we know the boat could not have sank any time before 1750. Does that make sense? That's just using logic. The boat could not have sank any time before 1750 because we have a coin that's stamped on it that says 1750. The boat had to sink sometime afterwards. What I'm trying to say is that we can use science and logic to put together how old the earth is. And that's what we're going to do. Give me just a second. <clears throat> so let's see if there's any evidences. Now, we do know that dinosaur bones do not have anything stamped on it like coins do. For example, if we had a uh, bronchosaurus toe bone, by the way, how would you like to have that toe? That's a big toe. Well, you notice one thing immediately is that it doesn't have anything stamped on it saying that it was made by a dinosaur in 70 million BC, made in Taiwan. 
It doesn't have anything stamped on it. So we can't use those bones to find exactly when it is based off of a stamp. So how do we find how old the earth is? How do we find out? Well, we can look at different evidences. First of all, if you don't mind, let's look at astrophysical evidence. I know that's a big word. Basically, we're looking up at space to see if we have any evidence of how old our universe or how old our earth is. Well, we have inside of our (laughs) galaxy, we have many things called supernovas. What supernovas are, are exploded stars. And we can get beautiful pictures of exploded stars. Astronomers have observed that every 30 years, a star dies and explodes into a supernova. So every 30 years. So it's not a common event, but looking at the scope of time, it's fairly common. Every 30 years, a star explodes. Now, if the universe is billions of years old, how can we have less than 300 supernovas? If it happens every 30 years and the world is billions of billions of years old, we should have tons more supernovas, but we have less than 300. There should be several hundred million of them. Are the stars wrong or is evolution wrong? Well, let's go on. The textbooks say that red giant stars evolve into white dwarf stars over a period of billions of years old. I was taught star evolution when I was a kid, that they taught us about how the stars will change size and shape depending on how old they are and they use their fuel. So textbooks say that red giant stars will eventually turn into white dwarf stars, but it's going to take billions of years. All right. Well, let's go through the light of history. The Egyptian hieroglyphics from 2000 BC describe Cyrus, a star that we find in our sky, as being red. Cicero in 50 BC said Cyrus was red. Seneca said Cyrus was redder than Mars. Ptolemy listed Cyrus as one of the six red stars. Today, Cyrus is a white binary star. Something that they said needed to take millions and millions of years actually was something that was recorded in our history as changing color. How about this? We have what is called the faint sun paradox. Now, this is a fun one because this came up, evolutionists came up with this one. They used evolution to show that we live in a young earth based off of what is called the faint Uh, sun paradox. Now we know that energy from the sun is produced by thermal uh, nuclear fusion. So inside of the sun, you have hydrogen that's combining together. And as it's combining together, it's uh, releasing energy. And that's where we get the energy of the sun. And it's combining more and more all the time. The core of the sun should alter and the sun should grow brighter with age because as the nuclear reactions are continuing to form, the sun will actually get brighter and brighter and brighter over time. If the sun is 4.6 billion years old, that means just mathematically, it should have been brightened by about 40%. So that means that right now, the sun, according to evolution, is 40% brighter than what it was when the earth was supposedly formed. All right, just hang on with me yet, okay? We're just putting our logic points together. All right, so the sun is brighter today. That means it used to be dimmer. Now, if the sun is dimmer, it's going to have some effects on the earth. For example, 
The average temperature of the earth right now is about 59 degrees Fahrenheit. That's the average temperature, winter, summer, all the way around the average temperature is 59 degrees Fahrenheit. A 25%, not a 40%, but a 25 increase in brightness increases the average temperature about 32 degrees. So we're going to math it. If the average temperature right now is 59 degrees and it was brighter, that means it used to be dimmer. That means the sun used to be colder. The average temperature of the earth was colder because there wasn't enough energy to get to us. Make sense? So let's put our math skills together, Zeb. 59 minus 32 is? I'll help you out. 27 degrees. Now, we in Wisconsin are familiar with 27 degrees. What has already happened by the time you hit 27 degrees? Freezing temperatures. So the average temperature of the earth just at that age when creation was, or the earth was supposed to be formed was below freezing. This is something scientists talk about today. This is, it baffles them because they have to solve this paradox because in order for life to form, remember we need that hot soup, but it's frozen soup and the frozen soup is not going to produce life. That's an issue. So <laughs> the average temperature on earth would about th been about 30 degrees Fahrenheit below the freezing point of water. At that temperature, the earth would be an ice planet, frozen soup. Yet the evolutionists believe the average temperature of the earth hasn't changed. That means according to their testing and whatnot, they said the earth hasn't changed temperature in 4.6 billion years. Average, all this stuff. We know the Yahoo's today are working on it. But scientists who study the things say, listen, hasn't changed then how do you answer for it when the sun doesn't give enough light or enough energy? This is what they call the faint sun paradox. Evolutionists argue this. I read articles about it today from the evolutionists trying to solve this paradox. A paradox, by the way, is a scientific term saying it's unsolvable. You, they can't work it out. They can't fix it. So, of course, it's not a problem for us if the sun is only thousands of years old. A little bit less bright, no big deal. It wouldn't affect too much at all. Interesting, isn't it? Let's go through another one. We know that Jupiter is cooling off, and it is cooling off at a measurable rate. Why is it cooling off? Because the sun's energy hitting the planet is not enough to to cover the loss of the planet that's going off to the space. That means Jupiter is slowly cooling off and not regaining the heat. Well, based off of the evidence of Jupiter, if the universe, our solar system, was 4.6 billion years old, Jupiter would have already frozen over and lost all of its energy. Interesting. So even our solar system says that it cannot be billions of years old. Well, how about this? Jupiter's moon, Ganymede, has a strong magnetic field. Magnetic fields are generated by the motion, liquid motion of molten, let's melted metal inside of a body. And yet, Ganymede should have cooled solid billions of years ago. There shouldn't be any energy left if it was billions of years old because it's slowly losing its heat and not regaining it. 
let's go for Saturn's rings. Saturn's rings are very beautiful. But Saturn's rings, if you're not familiar, are made out of rocks. Did you know that Saturn's rings are slowly getting further and further away? They're unstable and they can't be billions of years old. Those rings should have already flew away by now if Saturn was billions and billions of years old. Interesting. How about the moon? We're familiar with the moon. Did you know that the moon is slowly getting further and further away from us? It's at a measurable rate, but it's not much. It's kind of like a fraction of an inch a year. So not a big deal. But if the earth was, is getting further and further away, by logic, you know what that means? It used to be closer. You could figure that out with no help, right? The sun or the moon used to be closer. Well, what does that do to things? We have something called the inverse square law, which says the force of attraction between two objects is inversely proportional to the square of the distance between them. For those of you who math was millions of years ago for you, they probably say, I have no clue what that is. Basically, what it's saying is that when you half the distance, the force of attraction is not doubled, but instead it is nine times greater if you move it to a third of the distance because of the inverse square law. What does that mean? That means if the moon used to be closer, the force of attraction of gravity between the earth and the moon would have a greater attraction. Okay, you say, what does that have to do with anything? Good. We're just building data points. So that means the moon used to be faster, or used to get closer, and because of the attraction between the earth and the moon, just one million years ago, the, the attraction would cause the moon to slam into the earth. They could not be separated. So what that means is that our universe, even our sun-moon relationship, cannot be billions of years old. They could not sustain. Let's use some more moon stuff. We know that the moon is revolving around the earth. And as it's revolving around the earth, it controls the tides. Well, because the earth uh, moon is slowly getting further away, that means the moon used to be closer. We could figure that out with no help. Did you know that the moon, as it goes around, controls the tides? And that just one million years ago, not billions, one million years ago, the attraction between the earth and the moon would cause the, the high tides to flood the earth four times a day. And the last time I looked, we can only drown comfortably once a day. The moon and the earth could not be millions of years old and still have this relationship. This fact alone just puts this system less than 1.2 billion years ago at the maximum. That must explain what happened to the dinosaurs. They got mooned to death. All right. Well, we could find some other ways to determine the age of the earth. We can look at astrophysical evidence, but let's go closer to home and let's look at geological evidence. Do we have any evidence here on earth that shows that we live on a young earth? Well, let's look. We know that magnets lose their strength with time. That's just a scientific fact that magnets slowly lose their strength. Well, with that, we know that the earth magnetic strength has declined at a measurable rate. The earth is losing its magnetic field. Now, if the earth is slowly losing its magnetic field, what does that mean? It used to be stronger. We can figure that out with no help. So the earth's magnetic field is getting weaker. 
That means it cannot be billions of years old. The maximum it could have been to survive on earth with a magnetic field that strong is 25,000 years, not millions and millions of years. Now, one of the things that this does is it affects carbon dating. Carbon dating cannot be accurate except for a few thousand years. Beyond that, it cannot be accurate because of the magnetic uh, field of the earth. It actually skews and messes up the results. You cannot use carbon dating to date something more than a thousand years. That's pretty interesting. So what happens if you attempt to use carbon dating for something that's older than that? Well, the lower leg of the Fairbanks, Fairbanks Creek Mammoth. So they pulled up this mammoth and they tested the lower leg of it. And it said that it was 15,000 years old. Meanwhile, its skin was 21,000 years old. That's a messed up mammoth. Uh, some of it must have had a knee replacement or something. It's a lot younger than the rest of your body. All right. They tested a different mammoth and said it was uh, 29,000 years ago. And another part was 44,000 years. By the way, they're using carbon dating. Carbon dating is proven to be inaccurate. Maybe a little bit later, I may throw an extra seminar at the very end, tack another one on where I just cover some of the miscellaneous things. But you know that they test like a living mollusk, you know, like a clam. And it said that according to radioactric dating, dating that it had been dead for 4,000 years and it's still alive. Carbon dating and radiometric dating are not accurate. And we have so many proofs of it. It doesn't work. But anyways, going back to here. Many of us have been taught the theory of Pangea. Pangea is very often taught inside of textbooks. The idea of Pangea is that all of the continents in the world were one together once put together as one big supercontinent. How many of you were taught Pangea? All right, most of us were. If you went to public school, you were taught Pangea. Now, what they don't tell you, according to their picture of Pangea, is that Africa had to be shrunk 35 to 40% to make it fit. Africa is a huge country. But in order to make it fit with Pangea, they had to take artistic license and shrink the entire continent down in order to fit it together as a puzzle piece. In addition, what they don't tell you is that Mexico and Central America are gone. Those are kind of important, right? They, they took them away. They're all gone. So where is Mexico, Panama, Costa Rica, Guatemala, Honduras, Belize, Nicaragua? They're all gone in order to make their picture work. Now, one thing that you'll discover is if you moved all of the water from the earth, you'll notice that there's dirt underneath. That we find out that continents are not like lily pads floating over the ocean. The crust of the earth is solid and you have water that's sitting upon a solid crust. What that means is that the the continents are not just floating around and they're just kind of drifting wherever else. That is not scientifically plausible. We know that many of them may have similar shapes, like it looks like Africa and South America match, but it doesn't mean that they were once together. There was probably another explanation of why they match. We'll get into that probably session number eight. But we understand that this idea that the earth was slowly or was one continent and then was slowly drifting away is nonsense. It doesn't work. The earth has a solid crust. It is not hollow under the oceans. 
Now, something else that we understand about our earth is that our earth is spinning over a thousand miles per hour in the equator. So if you're standing at the equator and after one hour of listening to the preacher, you've already traveled while you're sitting in your seat 1,000 miles because the earth is constantly spinning. But did you know that the earth is slowly slowing down? (laughs) Every once in a while, they have to put in what is called a leap second. It says the earth's rotation is slowing down. June will be one second longer than normal. This will be a leap second. And what they do is they add a little bit of time just to add to compensate from the earth slowing down. Or that the earth is slowly slowing down. So we have to add a leap second to kind of match up what the time is. And they've done it over and over and over. Every couple of years, they add another leap second to compensate for the earth that is slowing down. Now, <laughs> another thing about the earth is that because of the spin of the earth, it causes what is called the Coriolis effect, which basically is the winds that go around. So let's logic where we are, the earth is slowly slowing down, correct? That means it used to spin faster. Because of the Coriolis effects, if the earth was spinning faster and faster and faster, the winds would be whipping through and you have centrifugal force. So maybe that's what happened to the dinosaurs. They just got flung off. That just one million years ago, the earth would be spinning so fast that nothing could stay on this earth stay anchored down. Well, that's interesting. Well, how about this? We have the Sahara Desert, which has a prevailing wind pattern. What that means is that the desert of Sahara, the Sahara Desert is getting bigger and bigger and bigger at a measurable rate. It causes the desert to grow. We call this desertification. That's a big fancy word. The desert's getting bigger. And that we could see how big the desert was to compare to how it is and predict how far it's going to go. Now, with this pattern here, we notice that the Sahara Desert, by its growth at going at a constant rate, is less than 4,000 years old. Well, you say 4,000 years old. Well, how come we don't have a desert that's older than 4,000 years old if the earth is 4.6 billion years old? Well, I have a theory on this. Here's my theory. That uh, 6,000 years ago, God created heaven and the earth. And that 4,400 years ago, there was a great flood that rearranged all the geography. So therefore, anything that's on the earth after that cannot be more than 4,000 years old. Well, guess what? It matches. The desert is less than 4,000 years old based off of the dating. Let's try another. We have oil pressure. With the oil pressure that's on the earth, you have the pressure of the earth that's squeezing on top of it. And that we know that oil can get quite a bit of pressure. Oil wells can have up to 20,000 PSI. This is way above the weight of overburdened rock. Any more pressure would cause the earth to crack. It could not hold. The pressure that we have shows that the oil under the ground cannot be more than 10,000 years old. We know that how is oil formed? It's oil, it's by the burial of animals and dead waste. (laughs) We know that 
Oil, by the way, can be created rapidly. Here they created oil from sewage in about 30 minutes. In Texas, they took turkey guts and they made Texas crude oil with it. And they make 4 billion barrels every year. And they could do it in 30 minutes. Pretty amazing. That's why, by the way, dinosaurs were the logos for gas stations. Why? Because you're pumping in dead dinosaurs in your car that had been turned to oil over that time. Well, once again, we believe that 6,000 years ago, God created heaven and the earth. 4,400 years ago, there was a great flood that devastated everything and killed everything on earth, rapidly burying it, turning it into these, what we call fossil fuels, which would include oil. So <clears throat> everything was buried rapidly after the flood. Let's take a different one. We know that the Mississippi River deposits sedimentary rate at 80,000 tons an hour, day after day after day. What does this mean? It means that the Mississippi Delta is slowly increasing and getting bigger and bigger as it's depositing. I was stationed down in Biloxi, Mississippi, right near uh, Mississippi River, watched all this happen. It's mighty Mississippi. They just dump tons of stuff every year. That means that it is slowly getting bigger. Well, if it's slowly getting bigger, what does that also tell us? It used to be smaller. Well, we could figure that out with no help. Do you know that because it's Mississippi is uh, depositing things at a measurable rate, we can go back and calculate how old the Mississippi Delta really is? Well, according to the data there, it took about 30,000 years to accumulate that mud. Notice it's not billions of years or millions of years. In fact, well, they say, well, it's older than your 6,000 years ago. Yeah, but if you believe the great flood and landed everything quickly, a lot of that Mississippi Delta was dropped off immediately because of the flood. So once again, 6,000 years ago, there was a great creation. Uh, God created heaven and the earth. 4,400 years ago, there was a great flood that laid all of the sedimentary things there in the Mississippi Delta. Here we have the oldest tree, which is called the Methuselah tree, the world's largest organism. And it says it's 4,300 years old. They said the oldest living organism is 4,300 years old. Well, why don't we have something that's older than that? Well, I have a theory on that. That 6,000 years ago, God created heaven and the earth. 4,400 years ago, there was a great flood that devastated everything. And any organism that's alive had to be under 4,400 years ago. We have... Uh, <clears throat> In Australia, we have the Great Barrier Reef. Now, an interesting thing that when World War II occurred, that many of the submarines would actually anchor themselves to the reef. When they did that, they did a lot of damage. Well, afterwards, they had scientists who got a great grant and they went and studied how long it would take for that reef to grow. And they did measurable rates and a good government job, sounds like a government job, where they were just measuring the reef. Well, because of how fast the reef grew, they were able to do it measurable rates and they were able to calculate how old that reef is and they found out that the Great Barrier Reef is 4,300 or 4,200 years ago. Well, if the earth is billions of years old, how come we don't have a reef that's older than that? Well, I have a theory. We also know that oceans today are 3.6 salt water. They could have gone from fresh water to 3.6 salt water in less than 5,000 years as it's been dumping minerals into the ocean, then evaporating and going back up, slowly making the seas saltier. 
Once again, we could trace this down. Why is it less than um, 6,000 years old? Well, because God created the world 6,000 years ago, 4,400 years ago was a great flood, which would devastate everything and create the oceans and put sediment in the oceans as well. Things have surely changed. We talk about in the textbooks today about erosion. At the current rate of erosion, the continents would have eroded flat in 14 million years. Now, Wisconsin may seem flat, but all you have to do is go to either side of us and we'll find that it is not flat. There's plenty of hills around us. Well, if the earth is millions of years old, how come rocks 300 times older than that are still above the sea level and haven't eroded off? Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? So here's a question. Why aren't students shown the evidence for the universe being young? Now, by the way, I only gave you a small teaspoon of it, just enough to give you an appetite, just to show you that there is evidence. But how come students aren't shown this? How come they're shown in the textbook that it's millions and millions of years old? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Is it to teach science or are they trying to teach something else? You understand this is a big deal. Many of the modern textbooks is about evolution, not books about the science. They are purposely trying to indoctrinate kids with evolution, even though evolution cannot stand on its own. They say that 75% of all the children raised in Christian homes who attend public schools will reject the Christian faith by their first year of college. Why? Because they've been taught for 13 years that the Bible is not true. And after being taught for 13 years that the Bible is not true, they are going to believe it. This is a big deal. This is why we have to teach on creation. This is since the textbooks are not, and the schools are not going to teach facts and not going to teach evidences and at least give them a point of view, then what's going to happen is we're watching the children lose their faith more and more and more. Right now, they say that in America, only one out of every 10 kids attend a church of any kind, of any flavor. One out of 10. Out of that one out of 10, from those kids who are at church, seven out of 10 will not darken the doors of a church once they turn 18. They are leaving churches. They are leaving the faith. Why? Because they've been taught for 13 years that the Bible is not true. They have been taught by default that Jesus is a liar. And why do we have to trust him? Why should we trust someone who lied? The idea of evolution confuses people. And this is important because we want our children to grow up with a faith in the Lord. This is our responsibility. By the way, parents, it's your responsibility to teach them facts. And if you don't know them, you need to find resources to learn them. Because we want our children to grow up looking at the Lord and believing in what's true. Or if nothing else, learning how to find out truth for themselves. This is a big deal. We are in a war. Evolution and creation cannot sustain together. They are at war with each other. One is true and the other is false. They both cannot be true. So with that, how is your faith? Many of us grew up in public schools. In fact, I would say most of us have. A few small portion did have the privilege of not going to a public school. 
That means most of us have this junk that's been taught to us all of our life. That when we talk about Pangea, you could see that map. You remember it when you were a kid. You remember hearing about dinosaurs and millions of years ago. You were taught evolution. We have a lot to overcome to have the faith that we have now. This is a war and it's a war for our children and the next generation of what they're going to believe. So with that, how is your faith? Do you believe the Bible is true? We would love to give you tools and resources to help you. Now, if the Bible's true, that also means God's alive. And that we need to follow his rules because he made the rules and he made everything. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.